Welcome to In the Foreground, Conversations on Art and Writing. I am Carol Fowler, your host and director of the Research and Academic Program at the Clark Art Institute in Williamstown, Massachusetts. In this series of conversations, I talk with art historians and artists about what it means to write history and make art and the ways in which making informs how we create not only our world, but also ourselves. In this episode, I speak with Maria Magdalena Campos-Pons, a renowned Cuban-born artist and the Cornelius Vanderbilt Endowed Chair of Fine Arts at Vanderbilt University. Her work combines photography, performance, painting, sculpture, film, and video. And in this episode, we discuss her influences and how her work investigates themes of the body, memory, gender, ritual, and history, and how these forms inform the creation of both knowledge and community. So I see a performance art as a very, very early form of knowledge. Performance is so intrinsic to what we are as human that it's perhaps the more nature of all our forms, the one that more that is more a, a embedded and that exists in many part of our life. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, Magda. Thank you, Caroline. It's my pleasure. It's really nice to have you here. Um, so this series we often talk about, or we often kind of warm up, start starting to talk about and thinking about people's teachers and also their the own role of teaching within their practice. And so I thought maybe I would just first ask, who were the artists and teachers who really inspired you when you started um when you went to art school first in Cuba? Well, Carol, is this is such a sweet question. And uh, over the many years that I have been practicing art and, and at the same time sharing my practice with teaching, I have had so present some of the people that were important to me. And, and when you ask me this question, I need to actually even go a little back before I joined the art school. Because in my elementary um, school, my elementary learning, I have a teacher. Her name was Carmen Lidia Escobar Menendez. And she was graduated of a program that may be similar to the program that formed here, the Montessori teachers or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It was called Maestros Normalistas in Cuba. And she was a, like a incredible, versatile, an incredible kind of open and expansive practice. So she was with my class when I was in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. And when we were going to the chief's retire with the class. And in that class with Carmelides Escobar Menendez, we practiced music, performance, um, visual arts, uh, what I say, home economics. I mean, it was just the more encompassing and beautiful idea about how to bring a kid, you know, to the best of the capacity, his or her. So when I went to the to the the, the high school, uh, the auctions were different auctions. We at that moment, Cuba was doing a program that a, a project that was sending kids to work in a in a agricultural schools. So you would go and and it was called Escuela al Campo, school mm-hmm. in the farms. 
And, and it was another school that was a um, very uh, a vocational school for science, and it was a vocational school for arts. And I really, at that particular time in my life, I was divided. I was very good in math when I was wow. very young. It came to me very easily. I cannot plus two numbers now, no, two plus two, <laughs> I don't know exactly, it's 3.5 or 4. But it was, it was uh, I feel very comfortable. And I was very good with um, with language as well. So she would was kind of say you could be a, a, a scientist or you could be a, a lawyer or whatever. And and I love the arts. And and that was the one that 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 win. I I ended doing all this school where um, exam entrance at school. So my older sister was being a professor of uh, science at the art school in Matanzas, in the capital of the province. And kind of that made it. I made it an entrance exam for music, so I entered the art school to study music. Oh. Nevertheless, a very exotic instrument for that time for me, but I was good at it. Oh boy! <laughs> and but the structure of the school was that all the arts were together. Mm-hmm. So it was ballet in this in the one floor, a music in the same floor, visual arts in the first floor. And through the year that I was studying music, I found myself spending a lot of time uh, in the music, in the visual art area, working and spending time with the kid and drawing. I, I used to draw a lot. And my father used to show me scenes, explain scenes to me, making a draw always to, to illustrate it. So I remember one of the professors there, uh, Ever Fonseca, uh, who a very important Cuban artist telling me like, hey, you drew so good. You should move to the to the to the visual art school. And it was so uh, persuasive that I did again an entrance exam while I was there to transfer from music to visual arts. My regret now, how many years later, is that I would have I would have been allowed to do both parallel all my life. I would have loved, I would have loved to be a very proficient oboe player now. I would have loved that. Yeah. Uh, but it was something that at that time was no. So I put all my focus, all my focus in, in visual arts. And then I was uh, allowed to do the exam entrance for the um, the next level of the education day where we be, we be, we be called the bachelor kind of program. Mm-hmm. Of the of Cuba a year ahead, so they allowed me to go and do the exam when I was finishing the third year, and I passed the exam, and so I entered the Escuela Nacional de Arte in Havana, ENA, um, at that period, and kind of got again in the same track with the people of my age because otherwise I would have been one year behind. But it was uh, from the very beginning. I went back all the way to the elementary school because some way, somehow, I was a beneficiary of a very experimental and, and adventurous, in a way, a way of educating in Cuba uh, in the post uh, or in the beginning of the Castro Cuba. You know, I born yeah. a few months after Castro took power. So uh, this particular teacher came from the education pre-Castro, uh, um, Carmelita Escobar Menendez, 
but I, I don't know. I mean, but I, I suppose, I suppose that um, opportunity for uh, kids like me, I, I, I came from a farm. I was living in that particular time in a very small village, the former sugar plantation in which my ancestral uh, um, family members work. And it was in this small, very coveted kind of a program in which a lot of particular attention was given to the, the peculiarities of modality, of mode of learning from each individual. And I say that was very beautiful and very good for me because I was not a typical student. I was um, restless. I was a fast learning. I was um, very curious uh, and, and super active. So I could yeah. have been the kind of kid that, that you know, the professor say, too difficult, too much energy. But she took my energy and put it to productivity. How beautiful. So I have been all my life celebrating and taking the model of this very first teacher Second teacher, my first teacher was Marina. Uh, in my life, I say, how do I deal with my students, with the difference? With doesn't matter if they are in elementary or in, or in a university. You know, it's something about uh, targeting and serving to the individuality of the learner. Yeah. Well, and I could also see in this formative moment in which you turn to visual arts, the fact that you were in a building that was also doing dance and ballet and music and also visual arts, that that kind of space seems to still infuse your practice so much in the way that dance and music and visual arts are, are, are so present in your practice still. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what year. Uh, came this very famous American movie of the, it's called Fame. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah. I was thinking, that was my life. I literally <laughs> live all my younger years. That was my daily life from, that left an imprint that doesn't uh, erase easily, that doesn't fade away easily. That that was um, that mark, you know, uh, uh, in, a, in a kind of a beautiful way and forever. <laughs> yeah. So was it then a big cultural change when you moved to Boston and started teaching in the MFA programs here? Was there a much different atmosphere that you had to adjust to? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, you know, my English is still, I, I say my English is still, is still Spanglish. And, uh, you know, uh, so when I arrive, I, we jump in here big time, but I would, I would answer that when yeah. I arrived in Boston, I was thinking, my English was so broken and so uh, full of all kinds of things, including full of French, because I have a story French uh, for a period of time, and I, I was speaking French at that time. So any time that I'm missing an English word, I would insert in there a French word. But even when it was really bad, I noticed that my class would ask me, it was very funny when some member of my class would ask me to come to their critiques to support their work. So whatever that I communicate was a, a, a good enough that member of my class would say, Magda, come, come and talk about my work in my, <laughs> in my critique. And I, and I mean, I have, um, it was a, um, a beautiful group of people um, in that particular year 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't. I have not necessarily keep in touch with many of them, many different uh, stories. But I remember very well uh, our teachers and our classes. And you know, when I was in mass art, I took a film class with the ladies uh, Mark Lepore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a film class with um, uh, Sol Levine. Uh, I took interrelated media art. Uh, who mass art was a very advanced uh, program and very innovative program at that time. It was one of the first uh, 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 art program that have, uh, we would call at that time, not the name, but it was a new genera pro- program per se. So it was performance, introduction to video. I did a Super A very seriously. And all of that was for me a kind of supplement, a curricula, that it was not available in Cuba, but that I was curious when uh, I have the opportunity to come to a story uh, to U.S. So in, in, in Havana, at the Higher Institute of Art, I was five years in the Higher Institute of Art, four years at the National School of Art. So this is a, a very long education. Yeah. And, and I focus in uh, traditional art, sculpture, mm-hmm. uh, pre-making, uh, painting, uh, and I was so curious about the new modalities, the new media. So when I mm. knew that I had the opportunity to come to Mass Art, for me, that was very important. So I, I still did painting, no, yeah. because it's so fundamental in my practice. But I ended doing a very a complex installation painting class uh, with Moore. And uh, Robert Moore was my, my professor, a fantastic abstractionist painter based in New England. He died fairly young, uh, both of these professors passed away, uh, Marle Poor and, and Robert Moore, but they were fantastic and important and uh, influential to me. But they really, uh, and a professor that was very important to me, both uh, as, a, as a model to look and uh, as, a, as a guidance in my uh, desire for teaching and all of that, Two people, and Flavio Garcia in the in the Higher Institute of Art, who was a very mm-hmm. brilliant, smart, sharp, conceptual thinker, and and really engaged with um, the uh, contemporary practice worldwide. When he was my professor at ISA, mm-hmm. and Antonio Vidal, when he was my professor of painting at ENA, and Antonio Vidal was a, a, a very important figure in Cuba art. He was part of a, 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 a defining movement of a Cuban artist that in the end, in the middle of the Republic in the 50s, decided to, to really create an abstract movement in Cuba. And these people were uh, in conversation with the abstract movement that was happening uh, outside Cuba, of course. Yeah. And they all response, you know, post-war art, but mm-hmm. they were incredible active and incredible um, uh, uh, intense group of poets, um, uh, fiction writers, uh, musicians, and, and painters. And the group of painters was uh, named a group of 11. Mm-hmm. Group of 11, uh, totally avant-garde. Uh, some of them emigrated, some of them left Cuba. Guido Rinas went to France. Antonia Iris came to America. Uh, a few others came to America. I just mentioned a few names. Uh, Antonio Vidal was the one that stayed in Cuba together with Raul Martinez. Mm-hmm. And it was very important, his role as a professor of art at the, at the Escuela Nacional de Arte. And 
how I met how I met uh, Antonio Vidal is worth to tell you because it was important for me. Uh, I was in a different class with a different professor, and they required us to make a self portrait. And Anna is a glorious building, a very beautiful, uh, futuristic building that was uh, commissioned by Castro in the beginning of his uh, revolutionary uh, ideas. And it's a very weird, very uh, beautiful building. And it's all round and organic forms uh, a, a building. And in one of the rotaries in which all uh, what we used to put the work, I seen that Antonio passed and saw all these portraits being, you know, in the in the in the floor uh, display, and for whatever reason, my portrait got his attention, and he asked somebody who did this, <laughs> and somebody looked for me and come and say, so and so want to know you, uh, so I go and met him, and he said to me in the spot, I have always wanted to have a female artist who could become a great painter. You could be that. And it was, you could read all the sexist baggage and machist baggage <laughs> of human culture in there, but it was something else. It was this yeah. incredible affirmation, like a, he no. saw something in that portrait who told her, him there is a skill here or something that is worth, and he become my mentor, my friend, my everything. I mean, I we, yeah. I become very close to this man, to his family, and great, great friends. And we were friends until he, he passed away. And we have an incredible, lovely, uh, strong, old uh, a relation of a real mentor, you know, uh, introduced me to other artists, to literature, to everything that mattered to him. He would sit down. I think that I was in some way a daughter that he didn't have, something like that. You yeah. know, he was kind of a, a fascinated with. A, I was a, the same thing, quick and uh, intense and full of energy and full of question and full of. A, and we, we we could sit and 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 read poetry from eight p.m. until you don't going to believe it, but one midnight, <laughs> and just, just drinking tea just drinking tea wow. and talking and talking. And that was a miracles, miraculous, mira, miraculously time of, of intense uh, uh, intellectual and cultural formation. He introduced me to important people in the art in Cuba, and he always introduced me with the same thing. She's going to be, she's going. <laughs> 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 was funny. I, I mean, we, we, we are friends, friends, friends. So when um, we celebrate everything that I did, and he cried for seeing that I did too. When he saw me doing performance, he was like, I wanted her to be this amazing painter and look at her losing all her time doing this circus. <laughs> he said that to me. <laughs> and then I saw him when I came back to my first show in Cuba crying. Literary crying in my opening, and I, of course I don't know if he was crying because I was doing performance and not just painting. But 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 it was. <laughs> but I say to you to tell you the the kind of intensity and the kind of um, a, a profound human exchange 
that I have yeah. with my with my mentors. I just mentioned a few. I was uh, very lucky. I have many people in, in many different aspects of my formation that were um, supportive and they were there to say, you know, don't doubt it, keep pushing, uh, go forward. And that is something that I take very profound at heart for my students. So I always try mm -hmm. to be a cheerleader for my students because I have cheerleaders and I also have a principle of my teaching, which is almost, almost in every work that is in front of me from one of my students, there is something valuable to highlight for them as a possibility. Uh, and I, I, I make an emphasis of that. I make an emphasis that you need to be very straight and tell the students, you know, exactly what is right and what is wrong. But I make such a strong effort to show them the possibility uh, to show them that, you know, maybe since this is a squeeze from this corner and from this corner, maybe something, um, something come uh, to be. And that is the beauty, too, to be a professor of art and not a professor of science, no? Uh, there is there is yeah. flexibility of possibilities uh, without damage consequences uh, that we always could afford in the in the realm of the arts. Uh, so I am, I am I am very lucky that I I, I could exist uh, with my practice and they they learning in this realm of probabilities and possibilities and speculative uh, uh, ideas of of what is possible. Yeah, I think generosity is so important, and it can be such. I mean, it can really change a student's life if someone is generous with them and and interpreting their work and taking it in. I think that is that is fundamental. I I I have as a as a centered word in my language as a professor, as a and as a, a mentor a, to show to my students the meaning of gratitude, and 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 try to work hard with them to really help them to become generous with each other, yeah. with themselves, uh, with the legacy that is given to them by knowledge and with the legacy that is presented to them by makers who who pave the way. I think that that is a, that is a very important. It's, it's beautiful too, that when we think about art, uh, we, we negate this idea of progress, no? A, a, a cave painting is as wonderful today as it was when it's made, no? So the, the mm. idea of the, the sense of competitiveness and the sense of a, uh, you know, outdoing the previous scenes is in a more uh, building of blocks, no? Uh, and I don't yeah. know if I say this in a way that is clear, but it's about uh, competing and fighting for the best is very important. Uh, but being best doesn't mean a, a, a racing or, or, you know, a, or literating what is next. It's about um, sharing and opening. And uh, I don't think that I am clear in what I say to this, to what I want to say. No, but it's true. I mean, I think that there's a, tense to, a tendency to think about artists as rivals, but it seems to me that mm -hmm. many artists, when they actually reach maturity, what happens is that 
there's a deep engagement and conversation across time and with their predecessors and future artists and that much more than rivalry, it's about conversation and it's about this ability to connect. And continue. You, you, you kind of keep it going for somebody leave it and uh, accepting that and participating of that with clear heart is 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 a very is a very important scene and uh you know when when one's teach in my case i have taught since since my teacher put me in third grade to do the writing <laughs> i mean i am ready to retirement this has been <laughs> overdue with my retirement over many years <laughs> but i mean but i but I, you know i i always think about a uh, how how important how important is to to emphasize both the value of of history and tradition and as much as the as the need for rupture no yeah. for rupture and the need for for a, a whatever we call sense of newness or whatever we we call a, uh but i but i am very careful about um the idea of uh, you know always the best is the next. I think in that is something beautiful about you know uh, looking and understanding and and uh, uh, really getting a, a flavor uh, of something with care and with time. So that for me is really important in in, in my teaching about. I say to my students, and the more that you know, I, the, the order that I get, the more that I think about. Uh, from every from every moment of in, in our case of our history, our experience, there is something there is still that we could combat and found new responses, new possibilities, a new way to, to problematize that and bring it to our time. So this this relation of a, a tradition and past and present is a very much connected in how one uh, interfere and and project and complete the other. And that is, that's important for me. It's important when I teach and I try to be specific and clear with that in my, in the way that how even I build in my lessons. I used to tell my students in the painting class, okay, tell me who you are, the bastard son of who? And I use that, the, the bastard son. And I say, okay, you know, see so you have a, you have Ingrid Kalam, uh, the, the Los Angeles artist, she's the bastard child of Jackson Paul, no? Because Jackson <laughs> Paul was painting and dripping in the floor. Ingrid Calame was in the street of Los Angeles, you know, tracing, tracing drops of scenes. So I say, yeah. you cannot talk about Ingrid without looking at Jackson Paul. You need to come back and take, and they laugh when I say, who is the bastard child? But I think it's, mm-hmm. it's a very uh, release, re, re, you know, easy way, relaxed way to say, <clears throat> there is a continuum here. That is, a, that is a that is a perception here that something that has started in this point now is taken in a new direction. Yeah. And how do you see performance playing out within this idea of history and continuity, <clears throat> and then also an embrace of the ephemerality and contingency of community and the body and and the individual. But that is a big question. But, <laughs> but I am thinking, you know, I, I, uh, performance practice itself is one of the oldest, uh, ancient form of human expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, I always go back all the way to, you know, to the caves when I talk to my students about performance to say, you know, it was 
uh, our performative capacity and uh, and in pre-rituals, but again, the kind of um, celebration and understanding of the value of energy. So I say to the students always, it was too, uh, the celebration of uh, this idea, this idea of uh, through energy, uh, through to to thinking, to structuring an image in our mind of what we could possibly do, that we're going to effectively uh, realize that intuitive idea, which is we're going to hunt today, and we're going to hunt a bison, and we're going to paint in this in this wall that bison that we are hunting or whatever uh, to charm the the bison, and we're going to you know jump in front of it. How amazing! How amazing yeah. the idea of uh, uh, intentionality and the gesture of performative of the intentionality to the realization of the art. So there is a very beautiful mechanism here of constructing an idea of possibility of energy or, or, or of the body in action into something that the body is not yet necessarily add to it. Beautiful. That is yeah. absolutely a visionary a structure of performance. No, this is an absolutely a, a construction of what would be a, a storyboard a, for the performance, but also the, the belief system that uh, that kind of a, a, a convincing energy that by thinking and devoting uh, a, a soul and imaginary building, no, the imaginary of building to it is possible. So uh, here, body and mind are in such a beautiful alliance. Here, the, literally, the, the body, the gesture, the hands, whatever, is just the conduit, no, the conduit of these forces, the conduit of this imaginary of possibility, uh, the conduit of this poetical uh, 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 approximations that they're going to uh, be uh, developed, that they're going to be, you know, uh, resolved some way. So, so I, see, I see that in the very, very, very beginning uh, of our own development as beings, as a species, uh, that we humans have come with this a, a, a capacity of the imaginary situations. It had been something very beautiful about structuring knowledge. So I see a performance art as a very, very early form of knowledge, as a very yeah. early form to, re, to, to, to pack in in our brain, in our, in, in our in, in cells, uh, actions and mechanics of possibility of the body that is going to be important cognitive uh, uh, tools for our own progress forward as as, a, as human. So I am thinking uh, we, uh, performance is so uh, intrinsic to what we are as human, that is perhaps the more nature of all our forms the one that, more, that is more uh, uh, embedded and that exists in many parts of our life, early days and every gesture of our life. And that is, and that is really in, in, in a, um, so when we think about performance as uh, performance art and 
uh, and especially performance art in relation to visuality and the language of of fine arts, there is all incredible um, uh, delicate nuances and delicate uh, layers and and a structure of what is is all about and and how it comes and how it's still uh, so connected to to early forms or the structure of human behavior and human activity and human effort toward progress, no? Yeah. Do you also find that your understanding of performance art or your relationship to it um, changes as, as you yourself and your body ages and changes? I'm curious about how you understand your changing relationship to your own body in relationship to performance. I am so um, um, uh, conscious and and aware of you know about this the the beauty of the transformation of the body. Uh, yeah. I am trying to read into that. I am trying to understand that the difference of your stamina, the difference of a, a, how you could hold the ground and how you could hold court when you have your body as the tool. I I am thinking. Everything that happened to me in the in, in this moment of transformation, very important. The body of a woman is an extraordinary, beautiful map of incidents and possibilities. Uh, and one of the things that struck me as more important at this moment is that we are in a moment of transformation of our body as such. We are entering the moment of the robotic body. You know, there mm. are many people already in the world going with auditory uh, assistance, with a heart assistance, with brain device. So we are now really, really in the transitional moment in which the technology that we have been aiming for is giving us more time to hear better, more time to listen to, to better tooth, more time to our heart to function, uh, all kinds of possibilities. And this is something that uh, for a performance artist is like, a, oh, this is all a, incredible possibilities, you know. It's all a, 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 a distinction of the capability of our transition from just biology to technology. This is a beautiful territory for, for, for performance. The same yeah. way, you know, that is in, incredible for performance, which I say the transitions, the topography of the women's body from being a, 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 a girl to, to menstruation, to, to motherhood, to menopause, and to whatever, see, I get lucky and I have longevity to see how the body, how the body switch. And I like that idea as performative, you know, yeah. I, I am thinking, you know, I have this big line in the, my forehead and I, <laughs> I have to say, why you don't put that with Botox? And I say, but did I eliminate that line? I eliminate the many hours of reading with poor light in Cuba. And that is a, that is a mark of something very important in my body. So I am thinking the thing about the body itself, all the things that is changing on me and that I that I could see it at this moment and that I want to take it and engage it and put it into uh, what what performance are. And I have role models. I am thinking about Lydia Clark, how beautiful mm -hmm. and elegant she was, you know, through all I love seeing her performing some of the things and she's in high heels and a and a and a, a, a cigar a, a skirt. God, glorious. No, I love that. And I, I have the privilege to see a John Jonas 
uh, performance, very mature. And she looked like a young girl, four years old. In that, yeah. we saw this technology and all those things. And I am thinking, I remember seeing a few years ago, uh, uh, Adrian Piper dancing in the in Sony Street in Europe. I am wow. sure that Adrian Piper was more than 60 when she was doing that dance. Uh, this are a, a beautiful, beautiful uh, 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 role model for me. These are women that I look very carefully. I look what they do as performers. I look what they have done as teachers. I look what they have done as 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 individual uh, uh, in, in their life. And these are my models. These are really uh, uh, ladies that I look. Uh, uh, Maria Teresa Incapié died too young, unfortunately, the Colombian artist, but she was absolutely, uh, you know, fantastic, rebellious, unapologetic. I want to do that. I want to be rebellious and unapologetic. Uh, I, of course, you know, I, I, I did things when I was uh, uh, 27 that I cannot do now that I'm 61 <laughs> in the same capacity. But that is the that is the, the scene too. How do your body is going to condition? Uh, what is that you're going to do forward uh, with performance? And in this particular uh, 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 area of performance, I am very interested in the narrative of what my body inscribe and what my body propose, because the autobiographical and the and the and the package. And the baggage that I trying to deploy and uh, un, un, unpack in some way yeah. with my body. So I I would no want a substitute a twenty year old girl doing uh, the performance for me. Even I am using now uh, I I in in, in Peabody's Museum in two thousand seventeen, Del Hamilton, my ex student and the great uh, performer, uh, performed one of my characters. She did. Yeah. Uh, she did um, uh, mojitos of cocodrilo tears uh, because when I performed that piece for the first time, I was so young and so skinny looking, and you know I was like a side two and whatever. I didn't know that anymore. Uh, so and I wanted to put the same dress that I used that time. <laughs> so I said to Dale, Dale, you 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 would do that, and she did it beautifully. You asked me before, when I came to America in 1988 to study, I remember the one one show that I saw. I saw John Jonas and MoMA. I don't remember now exactly, but I remember seeing John Jonas' piece and MoMA and being totally overwhelmed and taken over by her. Totally. Yeah. So this was 1888. It took me many, many years to meet John Jonas uh, later. Uh, personally, and become acquainted with her when she we were both in Boston and she was at MIT. This was a very important exhibition. Uh, dislocations was the name. Okay. Dislocation and MoMA, nineteen eighty eight, and that marked me. That exhibition really was um, fundamental to how that I wanted to look forward for both uh, installation and performance. It was a performative installation in many ways. Louis Bourgeois yeah. have a piece that was almost like an engine or some sort of motor. It was this gigantic phallic piece in, in motion in the place, kinetic, 
uh, unbelievable, just unbelievable. So it 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 it, it marked me about the the nuances. And and Adi and Piper have this incredible complex kind of labyrinthical space uh, that you were going from window to window uh, and, and and getting confronted with different. I trying to remember those. I I now trying to remember. I saw this. How many years did I saw that? But I, <laughs> really I still in my mind, and I still in my mind, my reaction, my uh, very important, and finding yeah. these two women there was a, a fundamentally a, a important uh, for me and mark my my determination, my desire about forward, push forward with the idea of performance. Even when I have, you know, I won a prize for painting in France when I just finished Isa, and the idea was, oh, she's going to be just this great painter. Uh, I could paint realistically very well, all of that. And I was thinking, my argument with painting what is contrived me at the moment. No, you need to fight your your your, your devils, your, your, you know, and and you and and I went to that, and I am um, I'm going to perform and was absolutely that. Uh, a conversation with different materials, with different language, uh, the 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 inevitability of the body as a as a as a tool and as a, as, as a base, as a as a as a ultimate a, a, a materiality of oneself with the audience, with a receiver, with a voyeuristic eye, with everything that visually stay for, with sight but also with an entire aspect of sensoriality that is inner to the body, but that is so important in, in performative communication. And I used to say, uh, I did performance when, when I wanted to communicate, I couldn't paint it, I couldn't draw it, I couldn't uh, do it in a printmaker, a printmaker, I couldn't do it in a photograph and everything. And I say, I need to stand here and I need to be a smell here feel, maybe even touch to complete uh, this description, to complete uh, this idea. And and I think that I was r- truly consequential with that, that I was, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't announce my performance for years. Many yeah. of them had been lost in, in, in the archive because I refused uh, to be documented because I have this idea that was it was this intimate moment of this, the people that were there and myself, uh, very uh, innocent and romantic, but I love that. And any time that I need to really give ahead information to the museums, which I do now to be, <laughs> you know, I feel like I lose something of the original energy of my performance, who was this uh, raw material, this raw moment of uh, encountering a, uh, 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 this uh, this communicator in this stage of wonder, you need to yeah. be there. You needed to listen what happened there. You needed to smell what what happened there. You needed to get the the temperature and the vibration that was in that place. And I am learning that. I am learning about what well, what is that I want to do uh, to be captured in a yeah. document in a in an archival way. And what is that I just give to the ephemerality, to the moment, to it never happen again, it never repeat again. But I think about how how wonderful and how um, uh, performative is the, the protocol of COVID-19 in which yeah. we are removed 
from the things that are fundamental to performance, the proximity of the body, at least uh, physical, or the implication that the body is present, no? as Marina Abramovi would say, and that is there to be accessed. And this uh, particular time removed from us completely. Well, it is so interesting because, I mean, also the it's so important to engage with that question right now, right? Because there's also all this, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in society after this time passes because it's instilling such a sense of fear around being near people and touching people and being close to them. Um, I worry about how it's going to impact my son. And so I think it, it is so important to bring this aspect of play and performance into it to make it um, less scary. Oh, absolutely. Remember, when people were totally locked down, when people were, before COVID arrived in America with the force that arrived in New York, we saw COVID in China, we saw COVID in Spain, and we saw COVID yeah. in Italy. And the first answer that we saw to an attempt to sustain our humanity was performance. People went to the windows and clapped. Yeah. People went to the balcony and heated uh, casseroles. And I mean, they, they create all kinds of scenes. People got the instrument and went to the roof and they serenade for people. So it was performative. Uh, fundamentally, it was a performative response. For this generation of kids, this idea of um, proximity and the idea of separation, I think that is going to be something more and more embedded to their own nature. The speed in which uh, uh, tools and gear that assist the body is happening in its performativity is something yeah. that would be really amazing for then what the body could do. So I am interested, what I am interested in rituals, because I am thinking for us, the body, ritual is going to be very important. Labor is going to be very important, but the labor of pleasure, okay, yeah. spend an entire day embroidering a littered doll for the daughter of one of my colleagues, because I want to surprise her because the fairy, the, the, the tooth fairy, she lost a tooth and I'm doing now a doll, <laughs> you know, to surprise her. Those will be like, a, a, you know, the, the, the joy, uh, the, the kind of a space and performance art will be a much more a language of communication. This is a universal transformative moment this is this is no accident i this is i think uh, our own narrative of transformation and, and progression and the normal uh, i think that we will need to substitute the word normal for another uh, nomenclature that we don't have normal as we will call is done it yeah. was the normal was now we are confronting something for what we don't have a name yet. Yeah, it, new normal is a placeholder because we don't we don't know what to call it yet. Definitely. Well, I thank you so much, Magda. I feel kind of I feel um, I feel like I've been in a beautiful performance in which I've been kind of um, suffused with with utopian possibility for the future. So <laughs> I love I, uh, me too. I want I definitely want to 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 book my hour with this violinist that I have in my mind. <laughs> I definitely want that. Uh, I, I want that. It's um, uh, 
It's beautiful. You know, I am thinking now of a um, very important performance artist, fantastic. I adore him, Lee Mainway. And Lee oh, Mainway yeah. did the piece, uh, I don't remember the title, The Blossom. And The Blossom, mm -hmm. he gives people a, a, a opera, an opera singer to sing for them. So in some yeah. way, Lee Mainway already started this uh, trend of the, you know, the luxury uh, in some way too. So I'm glad that I remember him. And uh, to thank you, but Carol, thank you, you for um, for the time and to be open to to talk to me and to listen um, sort of my ideas and the thing that I am concerned. And uh, I I'm looking forward to come back and perform my Clark. I know I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> we will. We will. Thank you for listening to In the Foreground, Conversations on Art and Writing. For more information on this episode and links to the books, articles, and artworks discussed, please consult clarkart.edu slash rap slash podcast. This program was produced by Caitlin Woolsey, Samantha Page, and myself, with music by Light Chaser, editing by John Boutine, and additional support provided by Gabrielle Almeida Baroja, Alice Matthews, and Yubai Shee.